Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Welcome to another episode of the Give First podcast. And this is also the Techstars Climate Tech podcast. That's interesting. I'm David Cohen, co-host of the Give First podcast. And I'm Cody Sims, co-host of the Techstars Climate Tech podcast. It's a crossover. We're crossing it over, Cody. This is really fun. We'll let people know about both shows. We'll put it on both networks. It'll be super cool. If you don't know about the Give First podcast, Brad Feld, my co-host and I, we explore the power of giving first and having no expectation of getting anything specific back and how that can be an amazing business philosophy. And the Techstars Climate Tech podcast is all about what's going on with climate change in our world, which is one of the biggest threats to our planet today, but also a really significant entrepreneurial opportunity. And so this podcast, we talk about how the entrepreneurial ecosystems are rallying around climate change and how entrepreneurship can help. So we've got a nice podcast network going. You get a little exposure to both of them. Cody, you're on the hot seat first on the Give First section of the show here. Let's start by making sure people know about you if they're tuning in to Give First. And tell us a little bit about your background as well as how you got to where you are now focused on sustainability and climate change at Techstars. Sure. I grew up as a kid in Kansas and decided, I guess, when I was 18 or 19 years old to study Chinese in college because, you know, that's what you do when you grow up in Kansas. From there, I actually ended up moving to the Bay Area after living in China a couple of times in college and like having my mind blown. I moved to the Bay Area after college to try to get a job using my Chinese language skills, but I didn't have any other skills. <laughs> <laughs> and China wasn't in the WTO yet. Like we were on the heels of an East Asian financial crisis. But what I did do is I accidentally fell into the dot-com boom. So I got my very first job at this startup that was a spin out of CNET, which was a, this hot internet property at the time. And uh, this startup was a web search engine, pre-Google, and my first job was literally putting websites into the search engine. So I was basically a human search algorithm is the nice way to say it, or maybe data entry would be the, you know, the more apt description. It seems like we all get our start in data entry. That's how I started. Exactly. Anyway, that company ended up riding through the craziest like dot-com wave. It, ha- it got acquired by NBC. It spun out, had an IPO on the NASDAQ. And then a year later, the stock was at like $2 and we were all laid off. But in that time, I moved into product management at that company. And so I got to ride the wave of internet product management from the late 90s all the way through the early 20-teens, really as that function came to be. And, you know, worked at companies like the New York Times, like Yahoo, like StumbleUpon, and actually then started mentoring with multiple accelerators, including Techstars accelerators in around 2011, 2012, 2013, mostly leveraging my product experience. So I'm not a serial entrepreneur who started lots of companies, but I've built lots of internet products. And so working with founders, helping them think about how to leverage product process and what they do. Next thing you know, David, you were asking me, hey, do you want to help us set one of these accelerator, Techstars Accelerator programs up in LA? 
we were growing so much, we would just ask anybody, right? I mean, whoever we could find, right? And we found this, some guy named Cody. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I was glad to have been somewhere on that list. Anyway, we ended up launching our first program in LA with Disney. I ran that program as managing director for a couple of years, co-invested with Disney and about 20 media and entertainment focused startups. And then learned what all this investing business was about and how to support entrepreneurs through mentorship and help from a full perspective, not just a product perspective. Worked with you and others at Techstars over the years to help us figure out our overall investment strategy and how we deploy capital across our system. And then about a year and a half ago, I put my hand up and said, hey, I'm really interested in what's going on with climate change and sustainability. And so that's where we are today. About a year and a half ago, I took the role at Techstars of leading our efforts around climate and sustainability, supporting the network that we already have in this space and helping us uh, build even more. And I love that you stuck your hand up for that because a few years earlier, I was showing up at conferences and people were saying, you know, what are you going to do next? You've got these programs all over the world. I said, I'd like to work on some of these big challenges, right? Like food and water distribution and climate change and sustainability. And I think some people heard that. We started obviously working with great groups like the Nature Conservancy and, and many others. And I love that you stuck your hand up because you're, you're a great investor. You know, I remember those classes through the Disney Accelerator, some amazing companies, StatMuse, OpenBionics, I'm mean, just off the top of my head. And you've done great finding companies. So I hope you can do the same thing in this sector. And, you know, what I want to talk about is why. Just working in this area is in itself a very good first activity because it's really, really more about future generations even than necessarily our own. So why is it that you got so interested in sustainability and climate? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved being outside personally. I like surfing. I like I do a lot of gardening and I've got kids. And so I think about what the future means for them. But really, it's about affecting life on Earth overall. We only have one planet that we all live on. It is the most important thing for all of our lives. If you zoom out, it's how we are here. Everything you know only exists on Earth. You know, how we take care of it matters. And what we've seen in, in seeing companies grow up through our portfolios, there's incredible business opportunities to be had taking care of the planet. And if you think about what's happened just in one human lifetime, right? Plastics are really only a mainstream thing post-World War II. So everything you see and know that's plastic and all the plastic waste around us, that's really only happened in one human lifetime. Climate change also really only has started since the dawn of the industrial age in the late 1800s. So that's about 150 years, maybe two human lifetimes that we've really started to change our planet from that perspective. So if we've had that amount of effect on our planet in one or two human lifetimes, can't we invest in entrepreneurship and in innovation to have the same effect to try to reverse those trends? And if we do, Think about the amount of economic opportunity that was created during the industrial age as we created these problems for ourselves in the first time while also improving human quality of life. Can we actually invest in technologies and in changes to reverse some of those trends while also continuing to improve human quality of life for the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that? So it's very much a give first opportunity while also being a, a really great business opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's really key. A lot of investors that I would run into five or 10 years ago would tell me, you know, no, I mean, there's impact and then there's for profit. And you know, and I know because we've seen data across thousands of startups that we've invested in and hundreds of impact or climate focused companies that we've worked with now. 
it performs better is the data that we have. It actually attracts investors because these are for-profit things. You can do well and do good. It's very, very clear to us in the data as one of the most active seed investors in the world. What do you say to somebody who looks at this and says today, yeah, I don't really invest in things unless they're all about the money. Give me some examples of where the opportunities are economically beyond just the impact. Sure. The opportunities are across the whole global economy. And I think sometimes this space gets a little bit of a bad reputation because there was a big boom and bust cycle that happened in the mid-2000s. There was a lot of attention on what was called clean tech at the time. There was billions of dollars invested and that bubble burst, which tends to happen when new industries are emerging. They get bubblicious and then sometimes they may pop, but it doesn't mean that the opportunity was wrong. It just means maybe too much capital was injected at one time. And so when you look across what I kind of call the climate and sustainability landscape today, it's also more than just quote unquote clean tech. Clean tech at the time being innovating around solar and wind and new forms of clean energy. Now we're really talking about decarbonizing the entire global economy. So it's everything from obviously the energy sector, but also food and ag. How does the human population grow from 7 to 10 billion people over the next generation while also feeding the planet sustainably? It includes manufacturing. How do we use materials to build things that we all need that don't damage the environment? That includes supply chain. So how are materials getting moved around the world? Includes transportation. So what is the mode of moving those things around the world? And then it includes our natural world around us, like the oceans or things like that, that create a lot of opportunity for life on Earth. So essentially rebuilding our global economy from the studs up is a massive business opportunity. Also, all of the work that's happened over the last decade or two around AI, machine learning, 3D modeling, all computer vision, all of that is now contributing to the ability to solve these problems at scale through things like synthetic bio, through things like satellite imagery and machine learning of looking at images coming in from space and understanding natural resource allocation. The software past of our last two decades is actually feeding the future of where we can go, even in more capital-intensive, potentially, businesses. If you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and you want to leverage the Techstars network to you know, make a difference in this area, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for you for funding, mentorship, a network around Techstars. What if somebody's listening and maybe they're at a larger corporation? You know, We have, I don't know, 100 or so partners that we work with that are major corporates today. What ways can they get involved, Cody, in sort of this effort using Techstars or not? What are the opportunities for them? If you're a large corporation, you have a net zero goal. You've got some kind of ESG-related program in terms of how you are looking at growing your business, ESG meaning environmental, social, and governance. We have lots of programs for large organizations to run pilots or engage with startups to help them find new technologies to solve their problems. And that's another thing that I think is interesting about this space. As a pure software company, to start your business, you can be one person in your basement or wherever, growth hacking your way to your first few hundred thousand users. When it comes to companies in climate and sustainability, most of these businesses don't exist in a vacuum by themselves. They're not out disrupting some existing business model. They're actually working to change the process of how a legacy industry works. And so large companies are often going to need to work hand in hand with innovators rather than feeling like they're about to be disrupted by innovators. And so we absolutely welcome organizations to come in and spend time engaging with our portfolio companies and looking at how our portfolio companies can help them achieve whatever goals they have around trying to be more sustainable businesses themselves. 
Awesome. So there's an invitation for you. More broadly, people may not know Techstars as, as an organization that's been highly focused on this, although we have done quite a bit of work. Share some data um, in terms of the portfolio or number of other opportunities. In what ways are we engaging in sustainability and climate broadly across Techstars? Yeah, so today we have just around 200 portfolio companies in the climate and sustainability space. We're recording this in May 2021, so that number will be bigger in the future. So more than most venture funds have portfolio companies in general we have in this in this space. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, and that ranges really broadly from companies working on carbon capture and reduction, companies working on sustainable agriculture, companies working on supply chain, companies doing pure software things like carbon accounting and companies doing reforestation by drone. So it's a it's a super broad set of portfolio opportunities out there. We currently have six accelerators that we run around the world that focus in and around these problems. We have one focused on nature-based solutions to carbon sinks and clean water. We have two focused on energy, one on food and ag, one on supply chain, one on material sciences and hard tech around material resources. And we expect to be adding significantly more around the world over the next foreseeable future too. So 60 companies a year through those six programs for sure. But then we're also seeing this more broadly as a phenomenon across the network. So of the 50 total accelerators that we're operating, we'll see plenty of these. So my guess is we're probably adding in the neighborhood of 100 companies a year to the portfolio. And that, as you said, is going to grow aggressively. So hopefully uh, your efforts are going to pay off and we're going to have some great economic outcomes, but also have some great outcomes for the future as well. So awesome give first. I want to switch it up. I'll toss the host mic over to you, whatever that means in podcast land, and we'll jump into your, your normal format for your show. David, now we get to hear from you. So what I'd love is for folks who are listening, coming at it from the Texas Climate Tech podcast angle, who maybe haven't heard David before, maybe just give us an overview. You, you, you started this whole crazy thing called Techstars. Share with us your, your personal intro and, and sort of how you're involved with Techstars. Sure. Yeah. No, good to be on your show. That was a cool transition. Yeah. So I, my background as a technologist, I, I was a coder, you know, started doing that really early in life, creating games and doing things like that. Always love programming. And sort of went to school to learn how to do that more. And that was the first phase of my career, you know, sort of writing software. Stumbled into medical response industry, ambulance dispatch industry, built some software in that industry. I had a good outcome. And so basically, I've been an entrepreneur post my college time my whole life. And I still consider myself an entrepreneur, even though many would say, no, you're an investor. But entrepreneurial investors, that's what we are. And really was sort of the tech founder in a few businesses alongside co-founders that were more on the business side. So I'm the geek in the mix, Cody, right? And at some point, I had a couple of exits with these startups that I was the CTO in today's parlance for and founder and started angel investing. And man, did I think that that sucked. I was like, man, angel investing, that's a great way to turn a reasonable mid-sized fortune into a tiny one if you just do that a lot. And I thought there must be a better way. And so about 14, 15 years ago now, we came up with this idea for Techstars. What if we could invest, but also surround these entrepreneurs with an incredible network, work with them in a hands-on way, as opposed to doing what angel investors do, which is mostly crazy, right? Meeting in a coffee shop and hearing a pitch and writing a check. And then the next call you get is when they need more money. That, that didn't feel good to me. 
And so we created Techstars and, and really this term accelerator that is so popular today was coined by Brad Feld, one of my co-founders here at Techstars, to represent this new model for funding entrepreneurship that has really become a driver of new company creation, not just here, but all around the world. And so the careers went from programmer to angel investor, sort of, to really investing, operating entrepreneur today. And today I'm chairman at Techstars. We, as you know, recently hired a, a CEO, Mayel Gave, who's amazing. She's just a few months in when we're recording this, but really exciting to be working with her to sort of take Techstars into the next 15 years. Well, fantastic. And I love that we started the conversation earlier talking about impact and how you can make a living investing in impact-related opportunities or building impact-related opportunities. And your first company was in the health space. So you were making a big difference helping first responders get out there and be more effective, right? So you, you prove the model yourself. Something like 20 million ambulance dispatches have gone through this piece of software that, that we wrote, and it just blows my mind. Uh, yeah, hopefully helped a lot of people. That's great. And speaking of building great businesses that are making a difference in the world and coming to our, the theme of our half of this podcast, which is climate tech, you know, you've been on the board through Techstars of two solar-oriented companies two really established companies in the climate tech landscape, Wonder and Level 10 Energy, both of which are Techstars portfolio companies. And you've kind of been involved with them as the solar market has really gained mainstream adoption over the last few years. Just love to hear any observations you have about having worked with those companies and how you think that may apply to future entrepreneurial activities related to climate and climate technology. Yeah, it's really interesting because both of these companies that you mentioned, Wonder, Capital and Level 10 Energy are really both, in a sense, financial and data marketplaces. And so when you think about climate change, for example, you know, you're literally thinking about, oh, solar, okay, that's the rooftop, right, of some building somewhere and we're selling that equipment. And how is that a tech or scalable business? Both of these companies, I think, have really hit the sweet spot of this where they're in the, the sort of financial mechanics of, of these industries. They're enabling people to get the financing they need or to make the project happen that might not have otherwise happened. Level 10 Energy, for example, is helping smaller corporations do procurement of large energy from solar or wind farms where they can go in together, do that together, as opposed to a few years ago, it was only like the Microsofts and the Googles that could do that. So they're really enabling this activity, which is good for the planet. But what I really realize of being on the boards of these companies is what an incredible economic opportunity, right? I mean, you look at the curves and these growth rates of solar deployment, solar farms, right? And it, it is just off the charts. It used to be when I first got involved in these businesses that the reason they were working was because some government somewhere was subsidizing something. And now it's like, no, the economics clearly and obviously stand on their own. And being in the transactional flow and the, and the financial engineering of, of all of this is, is just a really cool place to be. So that was the thesis, right? I've always been an infrastructure investor. I like to be in things that are used by lots of people for everything in the market as opposed to something highly vertical. So what I've learned by watching these companies is being early in something that's going to be really big in the future and leaning into that economic opportunity and being a first mover, there's still plenty of those opportunities in this world of sustainability, right? And so I see a lot more of that happening as we go forward and huge economic outcomes are possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that gets back to our conversation earlier that a lot of the entire global economy is going to be rebuilt over the next decade or so. And that includes fintech, right? That includes how we finance things, which is also seemingly changing quite rapidly, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is the notion of ESG or environmental social impact and governance as a focus area in the financial world 
it seems like it's gaining really mainstream adoption in both financial and regulatory frameworks, not just in the US, but all around the world. In fact, arguably, Europe has really led the way in this area. How do you see this impacting venture capital in the coming years? Yeah, the industry broadly is going to be impacted pretty heavily. I first encountered this ESG term only like three or four years ago when we were first starting to fund the very activity we talked about earlier. LPs were trying to say, are you going to be able to report on these impacts? And I was like, wow, what a great idea. We should make sure that the companies we're funding, right, we have a policy around it and whatever venture funds that the limited partners are putting their capital in are, are funding things that are having good impacts on communities, on people, et cetera. So I love that it's now become, as you say, much more mainstream. And we raised a venture fund during this pandemic. We're always raising them. It's nothing new for us. But that was pretty much all of them, down to the smallest family offices, certainly the large institutional investors that got involved. They want to know what your policies are, how the companies you're going to be funding are going to be affecting the world and the people around them and their communities. And I think that's a great change in the venture capital industry. And I think it's here to stay forever. So very welcome change from my perspective. We've been essentially doing this because we want to invest in, in the sorts of companies that we have been investing in that are doing good things and not companies that are sort of making the world harder, better, or worse working conditions for people. So I think it's great that people are paying attention to that. And I think the impact on venture capital is if you're not paying attention to what you're funding as a venture capital firm, that capital is not going to keep flowing to you. People want their capital to go to good purpose. And I love that trend. It's awesome, actually. And, and I think also for us as early stage investors, there's still an opportunity to even define how early stage investors really report on and manage ESG, because a lot of it has come out of like large public institutions and public pools of capital. And as it flows into our world, we, you know, we get to be healthy leaders in, in defining how that industry changes from a VC. That tooling is, is flowing down to the smaller investors, right? We're able to do that. And even angel investors can do that now, right? There are entrepreneurs that have created these tools that allow it. So huge impact. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, one of the big topics in the climate tech space right now is just the tidal wave of talent wanting to work on climate. You know, people who've spent the last decade at Google or Facebook or Uber or Twilio or wherever, and they're realizing, hey, the next thing I want to do is I want to go focus on technology that does all the things we just talked about, you know, helps our planet be more sustainable, builds for future generations, and can realize a nice profit and a, and a good business while doing it. One of the questions I get a lot is, some of these businesses are more capital intensive, right? They actually require hardware deployments. They require to be on-prem somewhere, essentially. It's a new material. You're moving atoms, not bits. How have you generally advised entrepreneurs or investors when considering a capital intensive opportunity? Not to say every climate opportunity is a capital intensive one, but many are. Yeah, some are and, and many aren't. And I think it's the same thing we used to talk about with hardware companies and the dad joke is it's hard, right? I mean, it's more capital intensive. And and so all of this to me comes back to team. Ultimately, if you have a business, whether it's a straight up, you know, old school hardware business or something that's in this space that that is going to require some inventory of hardware, some build of hardware, some design, those things are capital intensive. And where you have something that is moving atoms and up bits, you probably need to focus on the team and you need to make sure that you have access to that sort of capital. And that's hard. There are some people that live in those worlds and hang out in those networks. 
groups like Techstars can help you with that. And there are others, right, that can plug you into networks where capital is going to be more readily available for great opportunities. One thing I know, Cody, that's always going to be true is the capital that's needed will flow to great opportunities. You have to prove those opportunities along the way. Right now, there is a ton of capital in the world in general for entrepreneurship, more than I've ever seen in my 20 years doing this. But there is even more when it comes to doing good in the world and having that be for profit. It, it is something that people are really interested in. So I would focus on who do I have on my team that has raised capital before? How can I get attached to a board or to mentors that have raised capital before if that's something I knew I needed? And I generalize that for whatever it is you need. The last question I have for you is, is really based on your experience of seeing ecosystems grow up all over the globe, different kinds of startup ecosystems with different focus areas. One of the sayings about climate change is that climate change isn't just one problem, it's hundreds or thousands of small local problems that add up to a big problem. Different people are going to experience and feel climate change differently. You know, if you live in somewhere that's coastal, maybe you're dealing with sea level rise. If you live somewhere that's inland, maybe you're dealing with drought or famine. If you live somewhere that's humid, maybe you're dealing with extreme heat waves. How do you think that these different lived experiences are going to affect different entrepreneurial ecosystems as it relates to where innovation happens? Yeah, I mean, startup communities are funny. They develop around a shared history, a shared experience, a shared set of circumstances. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about. When you think about fintech, for example, that's really grown up around New York and London and other economic centers because that's where you have the talent, the flow, the people, the lived experiences. And I, I think the same will happen here in Miami, which is obviously an up and coming startup community. Mayor Suarez is working on that really hard. Lots of people moving there from, from all over. You know, they're thinking about, well, what is this going to do to our water levels, right? And there are going to be floods and there already are. I used to live in Miami. I don't remember anyone talking about that back then. But now you've got a wave of entrepreneurs that are there that are probably primarily going to be focusing on that because it affects them. And because it's sort of more of an imminent threat, there's going to be capital in the community. There's going to be interest in the community. There's going to be government support in the community. There's going to be a spotlight in the community around that particular issue. Whereas if you're somewhere else in the world, right, where this place is going to become a desert if we don't watch out, that's a different community that will evolve. So there will be specialization, just like there is, as you know, entertainment, LA, right? Why? Critical mass of people and, and sort of an industry already there. Doesn't mean that that's the only place entertainment companies will ever be, right? But there'll be a critical mass of it. So I think communities will grow up around these specific problems in sustainability. The good news is that any of them being successful helps all of them. Right. And that's different from just because we have a fintech community that's successful doesn't really necessarily help the entertainment community. But in climate and sustainability, where we're having an impact on something, fundamentally, a lot of the underlying root cause is the same. And so we might experience it differently, but it is a global community as well, which is a really nice feature of that industry. Yeah, for sure. Local and global at the same time. Well, David, thanks for being uh, my guest on the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast. Oh, no, Cody. Thank you for being my guest on the Give First podcast. Hopefully people will check them both out. Who are some other guests you've had on recently on your show? We had Andrew Beebe from Obvious Ventures, Kamal Kapadia from Terra.do, Clay Dumas from Lower Carbon Capital. It's been a, a really amazing show to learn all about what's going on in climate tech and how entrepreneurs can make a difference. People will check it out. We recently had Mael Gave, the new CEO of Techstars. Katie Ray talking about breakthrough technologies, former Techstars MD. 
We're really global. We have uh, folks like Baden Yurin from Australia talking about what's happening in the startup community there. James Oliver Jr. talking about empowering Black parentpreneurs. We get into Give First and how it's a way of life and a philosophy. So check out both shows. Thanks for joining us today. And Cody, good to chat. Good to chat. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.